We're taking a break this morning from the Sermon on the Mount um, because, well, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't really make any sense without the resurrection of Jesus, and I hope, that's, I hope you get that and understand that. Um, I was reading an article this week in uh, National, was it National Geographic website, something like that, um, and they were talking about uh, this thing that happens when, you know when animals have been rescued and they're kept in captivity and then they're released back into the wild? Um, there's sometimes this thing that happens where when they open the cage to let the animal out that the animal doesn't want to go out. So the doors open, um, but they, wanna, they feel safe in the cage. They feel that's what they know. And, and actually where they're meant to be, the freedom they can have in, 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 in freedom, they don't really want to go into it. And it was interesting I was reading that this week because I think that sometimes that's the way we are as Christians, right? So we know, that we, we know that we believe in Jesus, but we don't really let it impact our lives that much. Or we know that, we know that we've been freed from sin um, and we have this new life, but, but really, in reality, nothing changes in the way that we live. Um, so some, somewhere in the back of our minds, or so, somehow we, we, we do believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but we don't really let it impact our lives. And, and Beth mentioned this earlier when we were praying, like, it's true, I do sometimes think that, that most of the time we walk around like Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, right? We walk around like, it could, and, and I think the reason we do that is because we don't really understand it. We don't really understand what it means. But Jesus' resurrection changes everything, absolutely everything. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible said he proved, he proved that he is who he says he is. So think about it. If Jesus, had, if Jesus had, uh, hadn't risen from the dead, it's, it's pretty much the world's worst publicity stunt, right? Like, he's just, either at best he's a, a kind teacher who dies for a, a cause that he invented, or he's an absolute mental person who went around telling people he's the son of God. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says that if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, then... then uh, um, our faith is futile, like we're still in our sins. It's in vain. He actually goes on to say that if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we are to be the most pitied people in the whole world. It's pitiful. And, and it's, he's right, isn't it? Like if, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then what are we doing? Like this is absurd. This doesn't make any sense. We're just fools. And we might as well just pack up now and go home and have a roast. But the truth is that Jesus did rise from the dead. And by rising from the dead, he proves that he's the Messiah. He proves that he is the Son of God like he said he is and like all the prophets of the Old Testament said. Like so many things happened uh, leading to this moment. One of the things I was enjoying this week was um, um, in the Jewish calendar, in the Jewish calendar, uh, there's a a festival that comes after uh, Passover Sunday. Uh, or not Passover is not a Sunday. It comes on the first first Sabbath. This festival that happens on the first Sabbath after after Passover, um, and it's the festival of the harvest, the festival of first fruits, and it's always this uh, time. It's always this time, right? It's always the, the the first Sunday, the first Saturday after resurrection. Now Passover changes day because it's controlled by the moons. It, it's to do with the moon, but but this Sabbath never changes. It's always in the fixed place. And in the year that Jesus died and rose again, it just so happened, it just so happened that 
the, Pas- the, the festival, the first fruits of the harvest, was exactly three days after Jesus died, three days after, after Passover. So uh, what, what you do, uh, what you did in those days when uh, it was a festival of the, the harvest, you would go to your synagogue or temple and you would hear uh, prophecies read, prophecies uh, from the Old Testament. And the one in particular they would read was from Ezekiel when, when um, God gives Ezekiel this vision of this valley of dry bones coming to life. And so these followers of Jesus whose friend has just been murdered uh, three days ago by the Roman Empire, they go to synagogue on this Sunday mourning their, mourning their friend and they hear this prophecy of dry bones uh, getting flesh and coming back to life. And then they start to hear these rumors that Jesus has come back to life. And that's not just a coincidence. How could that be a coincidence? And that's just one thing. By his resurrection, Jesus proved that he is the Son of God. He proved that everything was pointing towards him. That's why the resurrection is the core of the gospel, because Jesus is the Son of God. And if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, if you don't believe that actually happened, then, then you don't really know Jesus. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a, he's a, a writer and a pastor in New York, and uh, he says this about the resurrection. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. It's the core issue. And I think that so many of us struggle with this, not because necessarily we have a hard time actually accepting that he rose from the dead, but because we don't understand what his resurrection means for us. We know that it's amazing, this thing that happened, but we don't really understand how it impacts our lives. So imagine if you uh, got a letter in the post, and it was a letter that said from a solicitor, and it said that a dear old auntie that you'd never met had died, and she had left you a million quid, a million pounds. Uh, and that money has now been deposited into your account. So you might be, what is that? It's weird. Something I'm doing probably. Um, so the first thing you do, you probably go on your banking app and check the balance, right? And sure enough, you go on there, and there's. Uh, one million, two pounds and 87 pence because you had 287 before. And you're like, no, this can't be true. So you're like, that's a lot of money. I'm, there's a mistake here. I'm going to go to the branch. So you go down to the branch and you get the girl to check the, check the balance and sure enough, there's a million pounds that's been put in there. Now, imagine if, uh, imagine if you went home and continued to live that you, like you only had two pounds 87 in your bank, even though there's a million pounds in there. Uh, if you don't realize the implications of having the million pounds in your bank, then nothing's going to change. And it'd be foolish for you to keep going, uh, worrying about how you're going to pay your rent when you have a million pounds in the bank. But yet, that's what we do with the resurrection of Jesus. We, we, we believe it. It's there, we can see it, we read it and we see it and we sing about it and we talk about it. But we don't really realize the impact that it has in our lives. And so this morning from the, the passage that Claire read in 1 Peter, I want to answer this one question. That's our first slide there, Tim. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us? Uh, l- let me pray and I am going to ask God to help me and help us. Um, and then we'll, we'll get stuck into the word. Um, Jesus, we thank you that your resurrection is true. We thank you that it's a historic fact that it did happen. That, that, that people saw you and testified to you and, and the tomb was empty and that, that millions and millions of people have, have followed you because of that. We believe that it's true, Lord. 
Help us now today to, to realize the implications of it for our lives. Uh, because what you did in your resurrection has a purpose, has a meaning. Uh, and it does amazing things for us. So, so help us to understand that. Help us to hear you this morning. And help us to be changed just by, by hearing your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so this passage we read, that, that, that Claire read from... Uh, by the way, can I just stop at this point and, and say, don't, the flowers look great, don't they? Um, so thank you to Haley, wherever she is, and Chloe who did that. Um, and it smelled amazing when I came in here this morning. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, so this passage we read in 1 Peter um, is the first part of a letter. It's an introduction to a letter that, that the Apostle Peter... The Apostle Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, one of the disciples, and we'll hear more about him later, um, he wrote to a group of churches in what is modern-day Turkey, right? And they're kind of all spread over the place, and, and they were facing some persecution, and they were having a bit of a hard time. And this is only 30 years or so after Jesus uh, sent it back to heaven. Um, and he writes to them in their persecution, he wants to give them hope. The whole letter is a, is a message of hope. And right here at the beginning of the letter, after he after he he. he gives his introductions and says, this, it's me, it's Peter, blah, blah, blah. He says this. He says, blessed or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation mark. It's like he's just bursting with praise. Why? Because listen to what he's thinking about. According to his great mercy, according to God's great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I love that he adds from the dead, just to make sure. He's like, I'm going to be clear here. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who, that's us, the people he's writing to, by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That is, ready to be uh, revealed, ready to be shown for all its value, all its worth in the last time when Jesus returns again. Now, did you notice what he said? All the things he says in there are through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, we have nothing without the resurrection of Jesus. We saw that, we, we saw that earlier, didn't we? There's no hope without Jesus' resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're to be most pitied because everything that we have, all the benefits that we have from God are through the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, if Jesus stayed in the tomb, then Christianity dies with him. And Peter, wanting to give these struggling Christians hope and remind them of who they are and, and, and what the hope they have, he's emphasizing that everything that they have, everything that we have, we have because Jesus rose from the dead. And I think he wants them, and I think he wants us to understand what the resurrection means for us. And so there's three implications of this that I want to pull out this morning. Firstly, through the resurrection of Jesus, we have been born again. We have a new nature. Um, I, I wonder what you think of when you hear the phrase born again, because in Northern Ireland, I think it has some connotations and it maybe doesn't have in other places in the world. It probably means that you dress a certain way, go to a certain church, um, sound a certain way, vote a certain way, and are generally seen to be good living. Does that sound about right to most people when you hear the phrase born again? Um, but the, the writers of the New Testament ha, ha, had something completely different in mind. It was never what they intended. 
So this is, listen to what Jesus says when he talks about being born again. This is in John chapter 3, and he's talking to a person called Nicodemus, who was a, a scholar, he was a, a teacher, and he's hearing about what Jesus is saying, he wants to know more. And, and, and Jesus says this to him, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in other words, Jesus says, you need to be born again, to enter the kingdom of God. So remember the kingdom of God we're looking at during the Sermon on the Mount, this, this new world order that we mentioned in our prayer earlier, this new world order that, 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 that Jesus has come to bring into the world. Well, to be part of that, you need to be born again. It's not about doing certain things. It's not about saying th- certain things. It's, it's not about going to certain places. It's not about looking a certain way or voting a certain way. It's about new birth. It's about you need to enter a new nature. You have to have a new nature. And so the question that logically might come to your head is why? Why do I need this in the first place? Why do we need to be born again? Well, the Bible, luckily, has a really good answer to this. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our sins, right? We were dead, not alive, no life in us, corpses spiritually. And so we needed to be born so that we could, be, so that we could come to life. You were spiritually a corpse, but through the resurrection of Jesus, you've been made alive. And we're going to look at that in more detail later on. But more than just being dead, uh, the same passage in Ephesians tells us that, that we were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature children of wrath. So our problem wasn't just that what we did was wrong or, or uh, that what we, we were doing was going to get us into trouble. Our problem was that we couldn't do anything else. It was in our nature. Our problem before we accepted Jesus is not that we do bad things or that we're in difficult circumstances or we've had a bad upbringing or whatever. Our problem before we accept Jesus is our nature. And there's nothing you can do about your nature, right? I was born a a white, male, European, Celtic-looking kind of guy, right? And there's nothing I can do about that. No matter matter, uh, how much uh, body modification or surgery I get, my DNA is still going to be that, And so it was the same for us before Jesus. We were in our nature, children of wrath. That was who we were. Like destruction was in our DNA. Our inheritance, the only inheritance we had was death. And so we needed to be born again. We need to have a a DNA change, if you like. We need to be brought into a new family line. And this is what Jesus has made possible for us through his resurrection. I, I just really want to be really clear about this. If you're a Christian this morning, you're no longer a child of wrath. You're a child of God. I thought that might get a reaction, to be honest. Come on, guys. Easter. You're no longer a child of wrath. You're a child of God. Listen to what, uh, this is what God says in John chapter 1. He says, but to all who did receive him, that is, all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, believe in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God has changed our very nature. We're children of God. We're, we're, we're not born in the same way as if two people fall in love or get married or have a one-night stand. That's, that's not it. If you're trusting in Jesus, you're a child of God because the creator of the universe had wanted you to be his. So instead of heading to destruction, you're, you're heading to wholeness and healing and true life. 
Your inheritance isn't death. Your inheritance is, is everlasting life. This is what it means to be born again. You're now part of the kingdom of God. You're now part of the family of God. Your real family is going to let you down. Your real fa- Even if you have the best, most loving family in the world, and I, I, I genuinely do, even the family I was brought up in, I'm going to go to my mum's today for lunch, and it's going to be great. But even that family, they're going to let you down. Even the best family in the world is going to die. And if you believe in Jesus and trust in his death and in his resurrection, Peter says, through his resurrection, we've been born again. You've been born again in a new family, just like you were born into your biological family. I don't know your family, I don't know all your family circumstances. Some are really good, some are really bad. But it's a truer family. This family, us as the children of God, that's a truer family than your biological family. I don't know, well, you all have, I was going to say, I don't know if you have parents. Well, you all have parents, whether or not you know them or they're still around or whatever. Maybe you have brothers and sisters. Maybe you have kids of your own. None of those things last forever. But being part of God's family never ends. And that's what Jesus has secured for us in his resurrection. Through the resurrection of Jesus, you are now and forever a child of God. That's what the Bible tells us. He's never going to leave. He's never going to die. He's never going to abandon you. He's never going to have an affair. He's never going to break his family up. If you trust in the resurrection of Jesus... If that's what you're trusting in today, you say, Jesus, I believe in your resurrection. I believe you rose again for me. Then God is now and always, always, always will be your true father. And we, the church, the worldwide body of Christ, are the family of God. We're brothers and sisters. Isn't that incredible? This is why we put so much emphasis on church as family, because we are brothers and sisters. And so we need to treat each other that way. We need to love each other that way. Through the resurrection of Jesus, this is what it means to us that we have been born again into a new family. We have a new nature. We're the children of God. And the second thing Peter points out is this. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we have what he calls a living hope, right? A new life. We have a new life. Um, I'll try, yeah. Just even this week, just even this week, you see the world needs hope, Right? the terrible news about Lyra McKee and we were just like even earlier just praying for her family and her partner and yesterday seven people killed in a a bomb attack in Kabul 35 people killed by Islamic State in Syria this morning over 130 people 130 Christians killed in bomb attacks in Sri Lanka as they gathered to worship the risen Jesus and that's only, that's only a few news stories from this week, the last couple of days. That's not to mention, what about, what about climate change crisis? What about riots in France that have been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks? What about all the things that are happening in the Middle East? Not to mention almost a billion people in the world who don't have access to safe water. The world needs hope. And Peter writes this letter of hope. Now, when he talks about this living hope, what does he say? He says, uh, he has caused us, God is, in his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, he's not talking about, um, he's not talking about the kind of uh, earthly hope that we have, like I hope things turn out for the best. He's not, he's not, you know, crossing his fingers and hoping for the best. Peter's talking about a sure hope, 
there's, a, there's a, a Bible scholar called John Stott. He, he's, he's passed away now. But this is what he says. He says about this. He says, Peter has a hope that holds the future in the present because it is founded in the past. Isn't that a beautiful way of phrasing this? Because of what Jesus has done, because of the resurrection of Jesus, Peter has a hope that holds the future in the present because it's founded in the past. See, Peter, is, he's hoping, he's hoping for, for deliverance from sin and death. Look at what he says. He says, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. He's hoping for deliverance from sin and death, but his hope is sure, it's secure, it's already happened. See, it's not, it's not mere chance. It's not like, man, I really, I really hope this happens for me. I really hope I get that job I interviewed for, or whatever it might be. His, this hope, biblical hope, hope in Jesus is a guarantee, right? Our hope is secure because God already has accomplished his salvation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's another thing I want you to be clear about. The power of the gospel is this, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he guaranteed your salvation. That was his guarantee, you know what uh, Travis said earlier when we were praying? He said that, uh, what was it, on, on Good Friday, we were washed in the blood, and on Easter Sunday, we were made white as snow. And that's, uh, I don't know who said that, but it's great. Well done, Travis. If you came up with that, well done. I'm going to steal it. I already did steal it. Next time, I won't credit you. But you know, we were, uh, earlier, we were reflecting on the women who go to Jesus' tomb, and then they come back, and, and they... Um, and they tell, they tell the disciples and they don't believe them, but then Peter runs to the tomb. And I was thinking, well, why, why, why is that? Why is Peter the one that runs to the tomb? Well, you need to think about how Peter felt when Jesus died. Peter's the guy who's like, I mean, he's essentially me. I mean, I'm not comparing myself to the apostle, but I'm just saying, like, uh, he's either 100% in or like, no way, I'm 100% out. That's Peter, right? In or out. And, and, and so he's the one who's like at dinner that night. He's like, no way, Jesus, I'll never betray you. No way. And then just a couple hours later, he, he swears blind that he doesn't know Jesus. Never met a guy. You're crazy. Literally swears an oath that he's never, curses the guy who's asking him. I've never met him. And then Jesus looks at him, right? Jesus has been... Uh, beaten uh, and mocked and he looks at Peter and Peter slinks away and cries. He weeps bitterly. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, all Peter's hope dies with him. Peter weeps because of his own betrayal. And I think it's particularly pertinent to Peter because when Jesus died on the cross, he died. You ever, you ever, just, you ever experienced the loss of someone and you're like, I wish I could have said that to them. Imagine how Peter felt. He's like, Jesus, I wish, I wish I could ask for your forgiveness. There was no hope of him ever asking for Jesus' forgiveness. But Jesus didn't stay dead. The women came and, and, and found the disciples and they told them this most unbelievable thing. And they're like, you guys are crazy. But they're like, Guys, Jesus is risen. We've been there. There's just a bunch of linen cloths lying in the tomb. The soldiers are wiped out. We don't know what happened to them. The stones rolled away. Jesus isn't dead anymore. And so Peter, maybe there's a wee glimmer of hope or excitement in, the, in, the, in his stomach. Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't dead. Maybe, maybe there's a chance. And so he runs to the graveyard. And he runs to the graveyard. And, and sure enough, that, that giant boulder has been moved. 
that took so many men to move into place. It's been moved. And the guards weren't there. And so he, he stoops and he looks into the open tomb and there's no body. All there is is the, the, the linen cloth that the body would have been wrapped in. They're just, they're just there. And there's no body. And then later Jesus appears to Peter. He actually appears to Peter before he appears to any of the other disciples. And I, and I, I love that. And I think it's because of that particular circumstance that, that, that Jesus knows. He knows that Peter needs him. And then Peter, when he sees the sight of his living Lord, his hope is reborn, right? I can't be forgiven. And then later in the beach when they're having breakfast, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. It's the same for us. Our, our, just as Peter's hope is in that resurrected Jesus, our hope is in the resurrected Jesus. Our hope of forgiveness is in the resurrected Jesus. Our hope, it's a sure hope, is the living Jesus, not a dead Jesus. That's why we don't have crosses with, 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 with Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus isn't on the cross. He's not in the tomb. Death isn't permanent anymore. Death is just, a te- is just temporary for us, right? Uh, Jesus, uh, I knew this would be emotional, so I brought loads of tissue. Uh, Jesus defeated death. Jesus, death is conquered. That's the, the title of our thing. <sighs> Beg your pardon. That's gross. <laughs> Sorry for being gross. And do you know why this is so important? Do you know why, do you know why the fact that, that Jesus defeated death, do you know why that's so important? Have you ever thought about this? Because the ultimate result of sin is death, okay? The worst that sin can do is death, and it affects everything. These flowers look great, but in a couple of days they're going to be dead. We all look great this morning, but in 100 years none of us will be here. Well, who knows what modern science can do? I don't know. I mean, maybe I might be a head in a jar or something. I don't know. Hopefully I'll be in heaven. But death is the very, very worst thing that sin can do. It affects everything. Everything dies. Everything decays. This is why Jesus' resurrection is, is, is so important because he takes on the worst thing that sin could throw at him and he defeats it. He defeats the result of sin. And so death isn't permanent anymore. And, it, and you know what else that means? It means that for us here in Jesus, this is how, this is how the Bible predominantly, you know, the, the Bible doesn't predominantly uh, describe Christians as followers of Jesus or believers in Jesus or Christians. The Bible predominantly refers to Christians as those who are in Christ. We are in Christ. Did you know that? That we are united with Christ. We are in Jesus. This is the language the Bible uses. And, and it means that for us who are, Jesus' resurrection means that for us here in Jesus, that, that we will conquer death too. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 15 says. Paul, the apostle, he's writing to the church in Corinth and they're asking all these kinds of questions because a bunch of Christians have died and they're like, what's going to happen to them? Uh, are they going to be raised from the dead? And some, of the, some bad teachers are saying, no, they probably won't be raised from the dead. And this is what he says. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He can't even bring himself to say that they've died. He says they've fallen asleep. Isn't that what Jesus does when he goes to the little girl's house and she's dead and her, her parents are in pieces? And he's like, don't worry, she's not dead. She's just asleep. I love that. Jesus has no respect for death. 
Why would he? And Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of the resurrection. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I'm reliably informed that the first fruits are, are the first kind of portion of the harvest, right? So it's the first bit that you bring in. And the point is this. It's not different from the harvest. It's exactly the same. It's come from the same field. It's the same crop. It's just the bit that comes first. And Jesus says that, or Paul says that those who have fallen asleep, those Christians who have fallen asleep, well, Jesus is the first part of that resurrection harvest. So when Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits, he's actually saying that, that, that we will rise again because Jesus rose again. He's just the first one of us to do it. Did you know that? That's another implication of the resurrection. Did you know that, that if you're a Christian, you're going to rise from the dead? Did you, I mean, can you realize that? Because you will. And Jesus is the guarantee of that. Actually, I was, I was chatting with Haley about this last night. You know, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, some other people rose from the dead as well. You can read this in Matthew 27. It's just one little verse. And you're like, Matthew, please, you've got to give us more than one verse. Like, what happened? Like, Jesus rose from the dead and then a bunch of other, it says, the saints who had fallen asleep. Uh, their tombs were open and when Jesus rose from the dead, they walked into the city and appeared to many. Man, like the power of the resurrection just infected the ground all around the graveyard and they're all like, let's go. I'm the first one. Jesus is the first one and we're following our Lord. I'm, I'm going to follow him even through death. This is why Peter calls our hope a living hope because in Jesus we're alive. Jesus is alive so our hope is alive. It's a living hope. The resurrection is our source of hope. And what is resurrection if, it, if it's not the defeat of death and the securing of life? That's what resurrection is. And so when we look back in history to the resurrection of Jesus, it's life for us because we've been born again. And when we look forward, it's life for us. It's eternal life. Life that's never going to end. Here's, here's the point in this section I want you to remember. Write this down if you're taking notes. But maybe just listen to it. The resurrection of Jesus is our hope, not just because Jesus is alive, but because through him we are alive. The resurrection of Jesus is our hope, not just because Jesus is alive, but because through Jesus we're alive. Incredible. And this means, so you might be thinking, what does this mean? Well, it means that the hardships of life don't worry us as much as, as, as they do for, for the rest of people who don't know Jesus. Because we know that, that in the end, not even death is going to defeat us. That means that, that when we mourn for, for our brother or sister who's like died, we don't, we don't we, of course we grieve their, their loss, but, but we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Because we know that they'll rise again. Death isn't final. And the proof of that is that Jesus rose from the dead. The first fruits, and we're in him, so we will rise again too. Ephesians 2 also tells us that we were dead in our sin. Remember we saw this earlier on? We were dead in our sin. We were lifeless. But God has made us alive in Christ. God has made us alive in Christ. That's one of my favorite ways to, to talk about someone... Uh, Someone becoming a Christian is like, why well, have been raised from death to life? That's the language we should be using because that's what's happened. I mean, this person has been brought from death to life. It's a miracle. 
We were dead and now we're alive. A living hope. This is what we have. We have a, a, a new life. A life that will never end. Not even when we die will this life end. It's the reality that we live in. For those of us who know Jesus, those of us who are in Jesus, fear is gone. Hope is sure. So, we've seen that through the resurrection of Jesus, um, we've been born again into a new family. We have a new nature. Um, we're adopted as God's children. And we also, through the resurrection of Jesus, have a living hope. This new life that's going to last forever. That death is defeated. And the third and final thing that Peter shows us is this. That through the resurrection of Jesus, we have a secure inheritance. We have a new future, a secure inheritance. Peter says, he has caused us to be born again. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So here's how this works. Uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And because of that, we've been born into his family, new nature. And because we're now in the family of God, we get the inheritance of that family, right? That's how inheritance works. So sometimes I'll hear of someone who inherits loads of money or inherits a house or something, I get really jealous. Um, maybe that's you, and maybe I'm jealous of you. I don't know. Um, uh, sometimes even when I'm at my mom's house, I did this last Saturday or something, I was like, see, when you're dead, I'm having that. <laughs> it's a bit of a joke. And she's getting old, it's funny. Um, she's very, very healthy, and I don't want her to die. She'll outlast all of us, I guarantee you. Um, a few, I read this yesterday online. A, a few years ago, um, there were these two brothers in Hungary, and they were so poor that they lived in a cave outside uh, Bucharest, right? And they, sold, they would find scrap in the streets, and they'd sell it. And then one day, someone came to their cave, not even send them a letter, because they live in a cave, and... Um, comes and says, you guys, your grandmother has died and you now have a share in a four billion euro inheritance. Like, that's the kind of inheritance we all want to get, right? And it was theirs simply because of who they were, simply because of their bloodline, simply because of their family. This is how inheritance works. It's assured to us because of who our parents are. And so for us as Christians, we're, part of, we're the children of God and so we have the inheritance of God coming our way. This is how Peter describes it. Firstly, he says it won't perish. And it's inheritance that won't perish. So it's going to last forever. So imagine uh, what we talked about earlier. Imagine instead of inheriting uh, uh, money, uh, someone inherits a house, right? Imagine you know that when old great Aunt Bessie dies, you're getting that sweet house. Um, but you haven't been to visit her in a few years. And then you get word that she dies. And it's very sad. But then you're like, oh, I'll get the house. And you go to the house and you realize that it's been a bit neglected. And so there's maybe a couple of leaks in the roof or the paint's all flecking off or the electrics haven't been done in, since the 50s and they need change, it's all dangerous, the carpet's all worn and, and, uh, and maybe there's a couple of cracks in the foundation or something. Well, as the children of God, that can't happen to us. Our inheritance won't perish. It won't, it won't be spoiled. It will last forever. See, everything in the world will crumble and be destroyed, but the inheritance we have in Jesus is indestructible. And secondly, he uses this word, it won't be defiled. It's undefiled, so it can't be tarnished, tarnished or corrupted. It can't be spoiled. There's no inheritance tax on it. You can't, it can't rot away. You can't spend it. 
It, can't, it won't be defiled, it won't be spoiled. And then thirdly, he used this word, it's unfading, right? How often, whenever you get a new, a new thing, it takes a couple of days and then it starts to fade, doesn't it? You're like, oh, this isn't, you know, it's not as exciting or new as it once was, you know? I'm always like that with new, new phone or something like that, where like, when I got my iPad, I was like, this is amazing. But then after a couple of days, you're like, it's just exactly the same as my old one, and now I just use it every day, and it's got scratches and dents and all that kind of stuff. But this inheritance that we have in Jesus will always be beautiful to us. It's never gonna, it's never gonna lose its wonder. It's never gonna lose its beauty. We're, it's never gonna fade. We're never gonna look at that and be like, nah, never. So Peter's saying that, that, that through the resurrection of Jesus, we've been brought into the family of God, and because we're in that family, we have this inheritance of infinite value. So maybe like me, by now you're asking, what is it? What is the inheritance? What is this inheritance that we have through the resurrection of Jesus? Um, well, I think the Bible shows us three things pretty clearly. Firstly, and this is a biggie, our inheritance is the world. <laughs> Did you know that? Our inheritance is the whole world. Uh, in Romans, uh, Romans 4 says this, for the, the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that's us, we are, we are his offspring because we are in the faith with him, that he would be heir of the world that not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, we share in the faith of Abraham and so we're fellow heirs with him and the Bible says that our inheritance is the world. We're gonna inherit the world. Do you know that? If you're a Christian, you're gonna inherit the world. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. All things. Our inheritance is the world. It's the earth and all that is in it. It's all things. God is making a new creation, and it's going to belong to us. So when God is coming to restore and redeem and make a new heaven and a new earth, he's doing that for us. It's his gift to us. He's saying, here, go and enjoy the mountains. Go and enjoy Jupiter. Go and enjoy the rivers, the seas, whatever it is. This is for you. This is your inheritance. And so I don't know if you're a bit like me, maybe you get down about things like opportunities you didn't take or chances you feel like you missed. I wish I, had, I wish I had learned that language or I wish I had gone and lived in that country for a while or I wish I had had more money or I wish I, I, wish I had said yes when that person asked me or whatever it is. But what this means is that in Jesus, the whole world will be ours, all of creation will be ours, and so we never have to get down about those things ever, ever again, right? Because the resurrection of Jesus means that he has secured that inheritance for us. So money and success and, and fame and Instagram followers and power and whatever it is that floats your boat, all those things are going to fade away. But this inheritance that we have is never going to fade away. It's, it's going to last forever. We're going to enjoy the new creation forever in all its fullness. And secondly, the, the, so we inherit the world. The second thing that we inherit is God himself. This is even better inheriting the world. Romans 5 says, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, uh, we, what it means is that the, the, the joy of our hope, our sure hope, is that one day we will see God and we will enjoy the glory of God. Not the gifts of God, not the things that God is going to give us, not even the fullness of that new creation that's going to be ours, but we're just going to enjoy being with God, enjoy the glory of God. So Revelation 21, uh, when, when, when John, God gives John a vision, he looks forward to the end of all things, he describes it like this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's our inheritance. It's the greatest joy we have to look forward to is that we will be with God and he will be with us. So maybe, um, maybe you think of heaven in terms of the things that you're gonna get, like big mansion, that sounds pretty good. Um, streets of gold, that sounds pretty good. I'm not sure. I think those things are maybe more figurative than anything, but um, maybe you think about, oh, I'll be reunited with a loved one. Um, all these kinds of things. Or, or maybe, oh, well, I get to never die. That's pretty cool. But let me tell you this. The truth is that when we are with God, none of those things will even enter our head. We'll just enjoy the utter brilliance and glory and majesty and love and warmth and nurture of God. And everything else will look like rubbish. Like if you look at, the, if you look at all the gifts that God has given you in your life, your health, good friends, this church, family, your job, good experiences, good food, good drink, whatever it might be, all those things. Now imagine uh, all those good things you could love and imagine. Imagine how good the one is who gave those things to you. But imagine sitting, staring at a beautiful sunset, the most beautiful sunset you can imagine why would you do that when you can sit and stare at the one who conceived the idea of a sunset in the first place? That's what we're going to do in heaven. And God's going to empower us to do that. He's going to, he's going to, we were made to enjoy God. We were created to enjoy God. And, and in the new creation, that's what we're going to do. We're going to enjoy him forever. We're going to finally reach that potential. That's the inheritance that we have. We inherit the world and we inherit God himself. And then finally, there's one thing that's really important to this. Um, we will inherit redeemed and glorified bodies, right? So maybe you never thought about this. We're, all, we're, we're, you know, we're gonna rise again with Jesus. We're gonna rise again when he returns. But we're gonna, we're gonna have redeemed and glorified bodies. Listen, listen to what Romans 8 says before I tell you why it's important. Romans 8 says, for we know that the, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, there's that word again, of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoptions of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are gonna be redeemed. So what that means is, it means that we're gonna share in the glory of God in the sense that we'll be like him enough that we'll be able to enjoy him uh, the way that we're meant to, the way that is good, the way that is right to do that. See, if we were in the new creation like this, you know, as good as uh, you're all beautiful people, as good as your bodies are, like you're so susceptible to temptation and sin. So at one point or other along the journey, you would end up falling into sin again because you would want to replace the gifts of God with God himself. You'd want to replace yourself with God or at the very least, your, your mortal body would, would grow old and it would get sick and it would die and you couldn't enjoy the fullness of God. But God has promised us through the resurrection of Jesus, that we will have bodies that will never die. And sometimes I think we don't think about stuff like this enough. Like our, our focus isn't eternally based enough. But we're going to have bodies that are going to be free from pain, going to be free from sickness, going to be free from anxiety and depression. Bodies that are capable of like just a deeper, fuller experience of joy. Like, think of the highest joy you've ever experienced. Nothing will even come close to the joy that we'll be able to experience because we'll be completely renewed. 
And that's our inheritance. And it's only ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So let me kind of recap this a little bit. Because I don't know if we've ever taken the time to consider the, the implications for us of our resurrection. And as I said, most of the time we walk, we walk around acting like Jesus never rose from the dead. Um, I know someone, and I'm not, I'm not gonna, they're in this room, I'm not going to name it because uh, I don't want to embarrass them, but if you know him talking about it, it'll make sense. And uh, you'll know if you know. And uh, oftentimes when I say, how you doing? Uh, the reply will be, I'm saved and going to heaven, so I'm doing all right. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Imagine if our response to that question was, you know what, things are really tough right now, but Jesus has risen. That should be our response, shouldn't it, guys? When Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't just rise from the dead, he raised us from the dead with him. So when we ask, what does the resurrection mean for us? It means all these things. It means that, that we've been born again. We have this new nature. We have this new family that we're part of. It means that we have this living hope. It means that, 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 that we have life that will never end. Death is conquered. It means that, it means that uh, we have a secure inheritance, that, that our future is sure. And that God keeps it for us. We didn't even get onto that verse in, in, 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 1. Because Jesus is the guarantee of our hope is sure. And this changes everything for us, doesn't it? It should give us a completely new outlook in life. Nothing can defeat us. Nothing can harm us. Nothing is going to destroy us. Like that old hymn says, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. No matter what the future holds, we know that because Jesus rose from the dead, our future is incredibly bright. And here's the incredible thing about this. In multiple places in the Bible, in the New Testament, it says, that, it says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. So happy Resurrection Sunday. You have the resurrection living inside of you. So there really is nothing to fear. Fear is gone. Hope is here. Like another song says, death is dead. Love has won. Christ has conquered. And we shall reign with him for he lives. Christ is risen from the dead. Let's pray.